talk about the Torah portion. Instead, we will focus on the half Torah. And I know I've promised a class, Don's not here, but I've promised a class about half Torah, what it's about, what it means, how it came about. But in short, every week, in addition to reading a reading from the Torah that essentially follows, goes in order of the Torah, starting from Genesis, going all the way till the end of the five books of Moses, every week at the end of the Torah reading, we read a half Torah. Half Torah is actually um, Hebrew or Aramaic for dessert. So it's kind of the dessert at the end um, that, we, that we have at the end. It's um, a chapter or a reading from the, book of, from the books of prophets. Next week, we're going to talk in detail about our scripture, the Tanakh, but we have eight books of prophets. So we always take a reading every week from the books of prophets. Um, every, usually every week, depending on the weekly parsha, has a half Torah that goes with it, not in any order, just from all over the books of prophets. Um, there are special weeks that we have on special occasions. We have special half Torahs as well. So this week's half Torah is the story from the book of Judges about the prophetess Devorah. And so her story is this whole this week's Haftorah. Now, the Devorah, the reason why the Haftorah is always connected to the Torah reading in one way or another, um, the reason the connection with this Haftorah is clear. Firstly, Devorah herself has a battle with um, Canaanites, which has some similarity to the um, interaction between Israel and Egypt in today's reading when Egypt when the Egyptians all drown. And in addition, the, in addition, at the end, when she wins her battle, Devorah composes a song that she sings to God, which is clearly parallel to our Torah, where Moses composed a song that he sings to God, and then Miriam sings her song to God. Now, it is pointed out that there are a number of songs sung to God throughout Scripture, the Talmud lists, or the Midrash, sorry, lists nine songs that are throughout Scripture. The Book of Psalms is a book of 150 songs. It's all songs. But outside of the Book of Psalms, there's another nine songs throughout our Scripture. So we have a number of songs, a number of notable songs, including the Song of David. David has a song that's found in the Book of Samuel. And, but when we want to have a half Torah that we choose with a song, we don't take David's song, but we take Devorah's song. Perhaps because of the uniqueness of Devorah's song that we'll, uh, we'll talk about. So who was Devorah? So Devorah was a shofet, or shofetet would be the feminine um, way to say it. She was a judge, um, judge of Israel. Now the judges doesn't mean a court judge, but it's a Jewish leader from the period known as the period of Shofim. So a little Jewish history. After Moses and the people come into the promised land, or after Moses brings them to the promised land, Joshua, Moses' student, then, or, and um, protege, then leads them over the Jordan into the promised land and leads them in battling the Canaanites and conquering the land from the Canaanites. Then they destroy most of the Canaanites and most of the Canaanites are killed out. However, they fail to... Um, they leave certain pockets of Canaanites here and there that they fail to, um, to destroy, fail to conquer. After the death of Joshua, 
for a period of about 350 years, Israel is not, doesn't have any king. There is a religious leadership, but there's no central civil leadership. Rather, the um, people, each tribe essentially um, runs its own affairs independently for this 350-year period until the first king. This 350-year period ends with the first king, Saul, who was David's father-in-law. David comes right after Saul. And uh, then we end up with, a, then we have the period of kings. But before that, during this period of judges, Israel is not, is just a number of different tribes. Um, so they're religiously united, but not really politically united. And in order to defend themselves against their enemies, they have these people who are called shoftim judges. And these judges presumably would deal with, or from the implication, would deal with the issues between the tribes, would deal with major issues that were between the tribes, um, or major national issues among Jews. And they would also, um, these judges would also help defend Israel when Israel was invaded. They would raise armies to help defend Israel. So Devorah was the third, or sorry, fourth of these judges. And so she probably, she lived about 100 years after they entered the land. And they had suffered after they entered the land from different neighbors. Israel had a number of neighbors they didn't get along with that well. To the north, in what today would be Syria, they had the nation of Aram that caused them trouble. To the east, they had the nations of Ammon and Moab and Midian. To the south, they had the nation of Edom. So they had different nations around them that caused them trouble. And to the southwest, they had the Philistines. And these nations caused them trouble over time um, and often would conquer Israel for different periods. And then the Shoftim would raise armies and would try to um, beat them back. But in Devorah's time, the Canaanites managed to band together. The pockets of Canaanites that had survived the initial conquest managed to band together. And they um, fell under the leadership of a king, Canaanite king by the name of Yavin. And Yavin had this strong man, this general, whose name was Sisra. And Sisra, Yavin, with Sisra's help, managed to conquer all of what was now the land of Israel, bringing Israel back under Canaanite rule. Although the Canaanites were a small minority, but they brought um, Israel under Canaanite rule. Sisra had a very strong army. He had, the Torah tells us, 900 chariots, which compared to Pharaoh's army was 600 chariots. Sisera's army is 900 chariots. So think tanks. So, um, so Sisera, based in Chatzor, which is in northern Israel, uh, they built this Canaanite stronghold. And um, from there, they ruled over Israel and uh, the children of Israel uh, at the time, and they um, persecuted them, and they were ruled by this minority Canaanite. De Deborah was the prophetess at the time. She is um, probably the only, we have later some Jewish queens in history, um, two, I believe, later over Jewish history, uh, but really the only um, female Jewish leader that we had, um, and this was sometime back, leader of all of the Jewish people, 
Um, generally, most Jewish leadership historically has been um, male, uh, both civil leadership and religious leadership. Um, in modern times, Israel had a female prime minister. Um, the question of women being lead, the Jewish history and Jewish rules of women being leaders is subject for its own class. But Devorah was unique in that. She also was a, the Torah tells us she was a prophet, the, sorry, the book of Judges tells us she was a prophetess or a neviah in Hebrew. She is, the Talmud points out, she is one of seven neviot, seven female prophets that we have mentioned in scripture. In scripture, in our Tanakh, we mention the names of 48 male prophets and seven female prophets, 55 altogether. The seven female prophets mentioned in scripture, and there could have been, other, there could have been others that just aren't mentioned by name, but the ones that we actually have mentioned are Sarah, our um, mother Sarah, um, God speaks to her. Um, we, have, uh, we have Deborah, we have Miriam, as mentioned in this week's reading. She was a prophetess, Moses' sister. We have um, Avigail. Avigail is later um, King David's wife. Avigail is a prophetess. Later there's a prophetess called Hulda, uh, who lives in the days of Jeremiah, a female prophetess. And what did I get? Queen Esther. No. Esther, we don't find her having prophecy. No. We don't find, I'm missing two names. Hana, thank you, Hana, and I'm missing one. Thank you, Hana's a prophetess, yes. Sorry, Hana was Samuel's mother. She lived right before King David. I should have written it down. Sorry? So... So Devorah is one of seven, I apologize, I, I gotta find the, the last one for you. So Devorah is one of seven prophetesses, and um, so, so she leads Israel, and um, this is unusual, this has been pointed out that it's very unusual to have a female prophetess, but apparently the people would have, she was, well, it was the prophetess wasn't unusual to be a leader. For example, later we have Hulda is a female prophetess in the days of Jeremiah, but Jeremiah appears to be the religious leader at the time, um, not Hulda. So, Chulda. She was a, she's later in the book of Jeremiah, she's mentioned, in the book of Kings. So, um, so anyway, so Devorah's a prophetess. So she um, calls to, uh, this is, she, the Israel's now under control of Yavin, the king of, uh, uh, the Canaan, this Canaanite king, who has now taken back control of the land of Israel. And so she calls a fellow called Barak ben Avinoam from the tribe of Naphtali. It's not clear what tribe Devorah is from. The Midrash says, Devorah, the Torah tells us, the Book of Judges says, she lived in Mount Ephraim, which presumably would mean that she was from the tribe of Ephraim. Um, although the Midrash does suggest that she's also from the tribe of Naphtali. But anyway, she calls this fellow called Barak and um, tells him that he must raise an army, 10,000 men, go up to Mount Tavor, and then bring his men down to the, uh, not to the um, stream of Kishon, and over there they will wage war with Sisra and his 900 chariots, and God will deliver them into his hands. Now, presumably, if Sisra had 900 chariots, he had many more than 10,000 warriors. 
So 10,000 means they would be greatly outnumbered. So Barak, under the instructions of Devorah, it's a prophecy, he can't say no. Um, he is hesitant. He says, I will, I will go, but only on one condition, that you come with me. You, Devorah, come with me. Devorah is upset, says God is not happy by your, with your condition. And so God will, I will come with you, um, and I will help you lead the battle. But because you didn't go on your own, um, God will not make Sisra fall into your hands, but rather God will make Sisra fall into the hands of another woman. And so, <coughs> and so they have this. Um, so um, Barak, together with Devorah, go up to Mount Tavor. Mount Tavor is a mountain in the Israel Valley, little Israel geographics. Um, Israel at its very center is very mountainous. Um, the center is very mountainous. It's very north. The northern Galilee is also very mountainous. Between the northern Galilee and the what's called today Samaria, or what was then called Mount Ephraim in Devorah's days, is a large valley called the Israel Valley, very fertile valley. Um, today it's the southern Galilee. And um, in the middle of this large valley is this mountain that a, kind of sits in the middle of the valley called Mount Tavor. And it's mentioned many times in scripture, Mount Tavor. It's very unique. So they go up to Mount Tavor where they have this, where they raise an army of 10,000 people. Sisra hears that Barak has raised an army of 10,000 people. And Sisra gathers his own army together to um, fight. And um, they come down the mountain as instructed to the Valley of Kishon. And the battle, although they are greatly outnumbered, and they're fighting without any armor against these chariots, but God delivers them into their hands, and, um, and uh, they win this battle, and Sisera runs from the battlefield, and Sisera is running, and, he, and, he, and as he runs, he runs past the um, home of Hever Hakeni. Hever is the name of a fellow. He is from a tribe called the Canaanite tribe. Now, the Canaanite tribe, we are told, we find we bump into them many times also in our scripture. The Canaanite tribe is a Jewish tribe, but not part of the 12 tribes. They are rather descendants of Moses' father-in-law, Yisro, Jethro who is going to be the subject of next, next week's Torah reading. <coughs> Moses' father-in-law, Yisro Jethro, came with the people. He joins Moses. Later he goes back home. But then he brings his family to Israel. And they all convert to Judaism. They all become Jewish. And his children and his descendants settle in Israel. For a time we find them during this period in northern Israel. Later they move to southern Israel the Talmud explains why they were forced to move, but they are this small tribe, they would have been a much smaller tribe, that are around, assuming a large family, or a very small tribe, um, that are not part of the 12 tribes, but are important, significant. And, and the Canaanites had a good relationship with Yavin and the Canaanite rulers of Israel at the time. The Canaanite tribe, though a Jewish tribe, not part of the 12 tribes. They weren't landowners because 
Only the 12 tribes were given land. They weren't landowners. For whatever reason, they had a good relationship with the Canaanite king, Yav. Sisra is running from the battlefield. He runs past the... Um, he runs past the homes or the estate of the where um, Chaver the Canaanite lives. Chaver was a friend of Yavin, the king of Canaan. Sisra thinks he could go and hide because they're chasing him. So he thinks he could go and hide in um, Chaver's um, home. He comes to Chaver. It appears that Chaver was living in tents. They were semi-nomadic. Um, he comes into Chaver's tent, and over there he meets Chaver's wife, whose name was Yael. And um, he meets Yael, and he says, can you please hide me? I am fleeing from the battlefield. I am fleeing from Barak and his men. They beat us in battle, and they want to kill me. Um, can you please hide me until they pass, and then I can escape back to the Canaanite cities? And so um, Yael agrees. She says, no problem. She offers him some food and she offers him to, um, she offers him wine so that he drinks a lot. And uh, he's, of course, tired from the battlefield. He eats and he drinks. He says, he's tired. He's going to lie down. Please cover me. If the soldiers, if the Israelite soldiers pass, tell them that you saw me running past so that they don't search here for me. So he goes to sleep. After he is sleeping, Yael takes a tent peg, um, those big pegs you use to hold down tent. You bang into the ground to hold down tents. She takes a tent peg, she bangs it into his skull, and he dies. Instead, that's a story. Then, Sisra, uh, sorry, um, Barak with his men are chasing the Canaanites. They run past Yael's home. They stop at Yael's home. They say, did you see Sisra and his men running past? She says, sure, I saw Sisra. He's right here. Would you like to meet him? She brings him inside, and they see that Sisra is dead. They continue fighting. They continue chasing the Canaanites. They chase them back to um, Haroshes Agayim, which is the um, the city, uh, the Canaanite city, where they uh, the Canaanites ran to. They capture the Canaanite city, and they once and for all destroy the Canaanites from the land. After that, we never they never suffer from Canaanites again. The Canaanites never manage to band together again. So that is the story of the battle, and as Deborah had predicted, yeah. Um, Sisra does not fall into Barak's hands, but rather is killed by Yael instead. Yael, of course, becomes the great hero for having killed the general. At this point now, um, because, of the great, um, because of the great victory, Devorah sings a song to God, a beautiful song to God, where she speaks of how God say how um, how the people were suffering when there was punishment and suffering against Israel, God then um, answered them and, um, and, and, Devorah, and Devorah was chosen by God and um, they then fought against Sisera and uh, she describes Sisera's mother waiting for him to come back from the battle 
and uh, from the battlefield and how she cries hearing about his death. And uh, she speaks about how the, um, the celestial beings, the stars, fought, fought with her um, from the heavens. Everyone was fighting with on their, on their side, um, kind of because everything was going their way on the battlefield. And she sings this beautiful song to God, praising God and thanking God for her, um, for her great victory. So that, in short, is the story. That, that's all we hear of Devorah, the story of this great victory. And we have this beautiful song that she sang to God and that we actually read in this week's Haftorah. So that is, um, that is the story of Devorah. We don't know much else about him. We know after her death there were other judges, all men after that. Um, she was really the only female leader that we had in that period and really the only female supreme leader. Um, later there's going to be some queens, but um, the only leader from that period, definitely. So, and um, definitely a great Jewish hero. But what's unique about the story of Devorah is that not only is she the hero, but Yael also becomes the great hero. And essentially it becomes a story of um, the power of women in a very male-dominated society or a, in a male-dominated Israel, which um, throughout that time Moses had been male, Moses and Aaron, although their sister Miriam was also a leader, but clearly Moses and Aaron are the dominant, dominant ones. And so from in a very male-dominating society, this appears to be the story of a woman who was both the leader and then later a woman who actually... Um, helps, is kind of clinches the battle for them at the very end, the story of Yael. And so it really tells us the story of um, the rise, at least temporarily, um, of females within um, Jewish life, within Jewish history. And I mean, since then, without a doubt, Judaism has remained male-dominant. Um, why leadership in Judaism was always male, we said we've got to do a class on its own as to why. And... Um, and it's, it's a fascinating discussion because there's a lot of debate over that. Um, is it purposely like that? Is it that just the way it happened, but it could easily change? Why exactly is it like that? But definitely Devorah was a leader. And um, the Rebbe points out, though, something very interesting about Devorah's leadership. Um, and as opposed to Devorah's leadership and why it came when it did come. And the Rebbe points to... Um, a very interesting place where we can actually see the role um, of, at least in Jewish life, of men and women within Jewish life. And um, the Rebbe points out that men historically um, have been the more aggressive one, um, whether men are naturally like that or not, um, may be debated, but men historically have always been the more aggressive of the, of the sexes. And um, indeed, the Talmud tells us that ish darko lichbosh, men are conquerors. That's what the Talmud says. Women are not conquerors by nature. Men are, or, or it doesn't by nature, men are conquerors. Um, they're the aggressive ones. Um, however, while men tend to be conquerors, they may be good at conquering, but they're not good at holding or making sure things stay that way. They create situations, but don't know how to keep them. And so the Rebbe points out something very interesting. You look at the 
conquering of the land of Canaan. Who takes the people out of Egypt? It's Moses and Aaron. Who conquers the land of Canaan from the Canaanites? It's Joshua who leads the conquest. It's all very male-dominated. But they're not successful in finishing the job. They're able to create, um, to kind of con conquer, to go out there. They're the aggressive ones, free the people from Egypt. But they're incapable of actually finishing the job, making sure that the Canaanites are not going to rise up again and um, dominate Israel again. So it, was, it took Devorah, it took Yael, it took the feminine side, it took the women to actually come in and say, yes, we've conquered, but what about all, but these Canaanites are now coming back and re-emerging. We have to retain or strengthen our own home. We have to strengthen what we've got and energize that which we have. And so that power, so that, um, that was something that didn't, that it wasn't men that did it, and even though Barak um, was the one who actually led the battle, but he wouldn't do it himself without Devorah, and then Yael becomes our hero, and we really needed women to stand up and, um, so to speak, clean it up to make sure that it remained, that we remained in the land of Israel, remained dominant in, inside the land of Israel. And this really, if we go back to the story itself of our um, Torah reading, to, of our Torah reading this week, where Moses and Aaron, even within the Exodus, Moses and Aaron are the leaders of the Exodus, and Moses sings this great song to God. But even after Moses sings his song to God, he's then followed, his act is followed by Miriam, who then sings her song to God with the women. Um, they sing their song to God in that Moses was capable in getting them to a certain point. But then at a certain point, we needed the women to take over from there. Um, in other words, that we needed their, the, the women were necessary. The men were only able, the men kind of have a certain point where they can't, keep, they can't keep holding or they can't keep it going. They're able to create something, but they struggle to keep it going. And so if we look at the greater picture in history, in Jewish history, in history we really find a similar thing. We as Jews spent many years struggling. In other words, we had a time we were persecuted. We suffered for many, many years. Um, when we were struggling, when we were suffering, when we had to fight, we often needed the dominant male to lead the people. We needed the dominant male, and historically, um, men have dominated throughout Jewish history. Um, or, or through men have almost always been the leaders. Um, I mean, this is not just in Jewish history. Throughout all of history has been male-dominated. But <laughs> particularly in Jewish history has been mostly male-dominant. And we have had female leaders over the years, but they were generally qu quite rare. And even female leaders were usually alongside other male leaders as well. But... Today, perhaps for one of the first times in our history, or one of the few times in our history, we finally come to a point where Jews no longer face persecution. We've reached a point where, while there are still a lot of people that hate us out there, I think polls show, you know, Pew does this international um, survey every year, um, and the, uh, the ADL does also, um, 
anti-Jewish attitudes. Most people in the world are still anti-Semitic, but we don't live anywhere near them, thankfully. And um, so we, uh, where we live, thankfully, we, so we don't, thankfully we live in a place where most of us won't directly suffer any serious anti-Semitism. Um, at most, maybe some epithets. Um, but most of us don't directly suffer anti-Semitism, which we're very lucky, and we definitely, if we do, nothing, we're not suffering from pogroms. Um, we're not suffering the way our ancestors once did suffer. Um, we've come a very, very long way, and it's important to recognize that. Um, here and in, in other countries where Jews live, um, including in Israel, where they do suffer some anti-Semitism from their neighbors, but at least they're able to defend themselves. So we live in a better time for Jews than we have ever lived before. We don't have to, our whole lives, look over our shoulder or have a plan what we're going to do when the next pogrom comes our way. So, um, so we're lucky in that way. So we don't need the. So while throughout history, perhaps we needed the aggressive male dominant side throughout much of history to be Jewish leaders. Um, Zerai points out today we live in a time where Judaism is not focused outside anymore. It's not focused on the aggressiveness anymore. Now we could focus inside. Now we need to focus on keeping that which we have. Now our struggles today are not with a enemies that are trying to hurt us. Now we're fighting for our own home. We're fighting really for the inside, struggling to keep what we have, struggling to keep our own Judaism. And in that, male dominance is not necessarily a, a value. But in that, women will do a, may well do a much better job in retaining Jewish life and retaining Jewish values and retaining Jewish identity, the struggles for today. And so therefore today we live in a time where we, today we live in a time where we more than ever do need Jewish feminine leadership. And today without a doubt for the first time in Jewish history, we have many, many Jewish feminine leaders, feminine leaders, maybe not the dominant or the majority, but we do have many feminine leaders. And um, firstly, Jewish women, are more educated than they've ever been throughout history. We should point out Jewish women historically have almost always been literate. So, I mean, that's a big contrast to everybody around us where most men weren't literate, let alone women. But Jewish women historically have been literate and varying on the Jewish communities, some places they were taught more than others, but there was definitely Jewish men were taught a lot more about Judaism than women were historically. That has changed. All Jewish um, today, there are Jewish women's schools, Jewish women's seminaries, and um, Jewish women have study can study the same way Jewish men study and can study. And um, so the knowledge there, the 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 knowledge gap has been narrowed dramatically, um, thankfully, and that's something that has only happened in the last century or so. And um, and then in the leadership in Jewish life, women have, Jewish women have really, really taken a dominant role. And the Rebbe believed that to the point where the Rebbe started a movement sending out what he called shluchim, or Hebrew for messengers, around the world to different communities to start Jewish communities, build Jewish community centers, as we've built over here. And whenever the Rebbe would send shluchim, he always would only send couples. 
And so he would never send just single men or single women alone. He would always send couples, and he would always have them together as co-founders or co-directors of their organizations because the Rebbe believed that in our day and age today, in, the, um, in our day and age today when our struggle is not with the outside world, but our struggle is to retain our own house, uh, to retain our home and keep, our, keep what we've got, keep it going as in the days of Devorah and days of Yael, we need to, we need it to have not just a um, male-dominated society, a men-dominated society, but we need women Jewish leaders as well. And for that reason, the Rebbe sent so many Jewish leaders and um, empowered so many Jewish women as leaders. Um, the Rebbe encouraged Jewish women to be speakers, to be teachers, um, to, be, um, uh, to get into public speaking, which had been mostly male-dominant um, historically. And in that way, um, it really to empower Jewish women because in our society today, we definitely, Jewish men, not saying that Jewish men should step out, don't think that's a good idea either, but we need at least somewhat of a more equal role in leadership within um, the Jewish community and especially in knowledge and especially and in, in both knowledge and in teaching as well. So that's really our lesson from Devorah, the um, leadership role that Devorah had in her time, which wasn't really copied throughout our history. We're, we're now in a time where we actually do need to copy that leadership role, and we do need to have a lot more Jewish women leaders and a lot more Jewish women teachers um, in our society. Yes? Yes? 